doesn't matter how many times I get up and speak, I forget how nervous I get. Anyway, um, if anyone else struggles with nerves and, and you think you've got something to bring at any point, then I would say, don't worry. God's strength is made perfect in weakness. So we can feel whatever we want. The feelings don't direct our heart, you know. His love does, and obedience is better than sacrifice. So yes. anyway, that's not what I came to say to you this morning. Uh, Jamie asked me to share, and he said, perhaps you can share a little bit about an aspect of your life and I was thinking about it and before I, I arrived at anything he said why don't you share on why you love witches <laughs> so I am this morning going to share a little bit on why I love witches so uh, when I was a child my mum used to occasionally call me a la Wyatt, and she's from Cumbria that's Cumbrian <coughs> dialect it means little warlock and um, the dictionary definition of a warlock is this a man who professes or is supposed to practice magic or sorcery a male witch, a sorcerer, a fortune teller or conjurer. Now I'm sure she didn't have that in mind when she was saying, oh you're a little wally. <laughs> but death, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Mm. And those who love it will eat of its fruits. We've got to be careful what we say. Do you know actually that what we're going to be judged on is what we say. It says we'll be held accountable for every word. Um, one of my most regular repentances, Lord I'm sorry for all these words I'm saying. You know, but anyway. Uh, what, we, what we say can be powerful. I didn't become a warlock straight away, and I didn't make a conscious decision to become a warlock. But what I did decide to do was to rebel. I thought my parents had done me wrong, and I thought, I'll, I'll teach them, I'll rebel against them. So I got into drug taking and all sorts of things that I, I shouldn't have done. But you know, in Samuel, 1 Samuel 15, 23, it says, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. In those days, they said, if your child is rebellious, take him outside the camp and stone him. Thankfully, I wasn't born in the Old Testament times because I'd have been stoned several times over. Um, but I, I was brought up in, in a Roman Catholic faith, if you like, and it was pretty religious, don't do this, do that. And I couldn't get it. Uh, I, I didn't get it. And I start, but there was something. I knew that there was some kind of spiritual thing there, and I needed it um, because I knew there was a void in me. So I started looking in all sorts of places. Uh, and one of the places I looked was the occult, which is uh, can be seductive and interesting and kind of draw people. And occult actually means hidden, so you've got to search it out in terms of finding all these kind of secret stuff. Uh, and, and I started looking in there. Uh, and I got a tattoo of the Reaper, which is death, if you like, because that's kind of where I was at. That's how I kind of identified uh, with this grim thing. Uh, and then shortly afterwards, my brother died. And I had no sense of how to process grief or how to mourn. Um, grew up in a family where there was I can say this without dishonouring my parents, a bit of emotional retardation. You know, everything was fine, or you were in trouble, you were the wrong one. Do you know what I mean? You couldn't say you're upset, you couldn't get angry. So I had to learn how to kind of navigate that emotional world. But um, yeah, in terms of grief, it, I just kind of went crazy and, and again just started looking uh, in, in all sorts of weird places. So I'm going to fast forward a few years. 
um, rather than talk about all that messy stuff. Uh, I met God in, in quite a miraculous way uh, and then just carried on messing up for four years. So he's patient, you know, he's so good. <laughs> but eventually I asked Jesus into my life and joined a Pentecostal church. And on the one hand, it was really spirit-filled and they loved the word. And they really knew how to dissect the word. On the other hand, there was a real religious aspect to it and, and there was judgmentalism <coughs> and not a lot of grace. Anyway, I was going to one of their prayer meetings one night and uh, as I was walking through our car park where we lived, there's a van there and it's got all sorts of cult signs on it and had an inverted pentagram, a five-pointed star on the radiator grill and something in me rose up and I got all offended and I started laying hands on this and binding and casting things out and cursing it and telling God really to chase them off, off the land. And the more I did that, the more messed up I got. And I ended up coming away from there just feeling absolutely filthy. And I got to the prayer meeting, I spoke to one of my brothers and he prayed for me. And kind of, I got a sense of, I, I was restored to peace. But that should have shown me something about coming up against uh, that stuff uh, in my own strength and without seeking God. But it could have also shown me something about God's heart for those people as well. You know, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. It isn't about people who are stuck in stuff. Yeah. When people are stuck in stuff, that isn't, and if they start manifesting, or if you see some dreadful thing over them, that isn't about you. That's about keeping them away from the light. Mm. Yeah, that's coming against them. And you don't have to fight that thing. Jesus has done the battle, Amen. all right? Yeah. If there's a power or principality at work, raise a bigger one. Worship God. Let him be enthroned in the praises of his people because yeah. he's much more powerful. These things have lies. That's all they've got. But if people start getting sucked into those lies, then they've got access to all sorts of areas of their life and they can get messed up. But actually, if you're looking at God and worshipping God and he's enthroned in your praises, you're going to see his blessing come down. So, uh, I left that church. I <laughs> uh, and I, I kind of started backsliding and eventually I ended up in a bigger mess than I was previously in terms of torment uh, and demonic stuff. And people will say demons can't, uh, Christians can't have demons. It's not about having a demon, but if you listen to those things, you can get pretty confused and messed up and, and I end up in that space again. So I started looking for a church where I knew that there was the spirit of God and where they might do some deliverance. And I found myself in this church. Unfortunately, they'd just been through a season of really messy stuff. And they had people manifesting and falling over and uh, groaning. And so they stopped it. They just said, we're not doing this um, because it's not honoring to God. So I did have this stuff going on and I needed some help, but it, it wasn't there in the way that I thought it would be. So uh, I thought, all right, I'll see whether I can deliver myself. I don't know if there's a scriptural basis for that. Uh, I can't sit in the Bible, but what I, will, what I am going to do is, is uh, fast for 40 days. So I, I consecrated a fast to God and started fasting for 40 days. And as I started doing that, I was a couple of weeks in, God said, are you going to do five of these? Five 40-day fasts. I'm like, all right. So over the course of two years, I did that. And that was my time of walking in the secret place. And God taught me how to pray. And he taught me how to worship. 
And as much as I wouldn't <laughs> want that time again in terms of the mess that I was in and what I was experiencing, that sweetness of just learning who God is and who I am was uh, without parallel and, and was really special. As I was praying through scripture, I got to the, the, the Psalms. The Psalms are a really good place if you're wrestling with stuff, um, particularly some of David's Psalms, because he doesn't hold back. He's like, God, where are you? When, how long am I going to be suffering with this? But, but he doesn't stay there. He doesn't stay with his circumstances. He doesn't stay with his feelings. He says, but you, God, you are faithful. He always comes back to that. It's a really good model to get into in terms of just letting God know how we are when, when we're struggling with stuff. So as I'm praying through um, the Psalms, I get to Psalm 133 and the Holy Spirit just lands on it. Boom. And it, you know when something leaps out of Scripture to you, you're like, wow, I hadn't seen that quite like that before. So this is Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like the precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon was falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. I spent a couple of months just camped in that psalm, and God started showing me his heart for unity. And when you get a perspective, um, when you get the lenses of unity and you start looking at the Bible through that, you, it just comes out again and again and again. It's just like God's got this real heart for unity. He wants us to love one another or, or something like that. So... Uh, I'm, I'm at this church and, and I've, I've had these couple of years and whatnot and uh, they, they had a course training in supernatural ministry and I was working full time I had a big mortgage and I couldn't afford to do it but I felt God saying go for it so I applied for it thinking they'll never accept me and they said oh we'd love to have you on uh, it was two days a week so I needed to go down to part time three days so I'm praying into it. I'm like, Lord, Lord, if you want me here, you're going to have to provide some way. And uh, my mum moved down with me, and she said, how do you like no mortgage? Well, that'd be all right. And so she sold her house and invested the, um, the capital from that in my house. My uh, mortgage reduced by 130000 I could go to three days a week. Wow. Um, I used to collect my children from Wiltshire on a Friday. My mum said, I'll go and collect the kids for you if you want. So I, I could stay for the Thursday and Friday, and I did this training in super, supernatural ministry uh, where they spend the first half of the first term just talking about identity, who we are in Christ, who God says we are, not who we think we are, mm. but who we are, which, which is phenomenal. And then uh, it's around equipping us, you know, who's God, God's called us to be. Jesus said, these things and greater things shall ye do in my name. Really? Does my life look like that? Um, but th that was pretty good. Once I'd done that, uh, the church was growing numerically. There, there was lots of people, and they thought, we can't carry on doing small group. Oh, we'll get to the witches stuff, I promise you. <laughs> so uh, small groups weren't able to hold the numbers in, in a real way, and they were thinking, we need to grow in different ways. So they started things called missional communities, and they said, if you feel called to something, gather those people who feel like-minded, get together and do it. So some people did art in the community, some people went and met in their local pub and started meeting the people down the pub. God told me that I needed a team because we were going to see people coming out of uh, the occult, witchcraft, uh, out of um, sex working, 
uh, out of gangs and addiction. So we started this, and, and this grew. We would come together each week, and we'd have a meal, and uh, we would then worship and stuff, and God started taking us places. Um, one day I got a, a text from a friend, and it was a flyer about this place called the Enchanted Market. So it was a pagan thing, and uh, we prayed about it, and four of us went down there, and they were selling chalices, assains, spell books, charms, you name it. And that was our first foray into that, and we were a bit like, whoa, what's going on? Who are the people? <laughs> kind of thing. Don't want to get slimed or anything, uh, which is kind of funny. But they had, couple, they had a few talks, and we, we went to those as well, and heard some really interesting stuff and some uh, absolute nonsense as, as well. But having done that, uh, and broken the ice, if you like, uh, we started going to events like that. They've got uh, an event called Witchfest, which the organisers say um, there's about 4,000 witches attend. It's a conference. And they have breakout rooms with guest speakers talking about uh, paganism, Wicca, uh, altar magic, craft, spelling, and all that sort of thing. Uh, but we went along and we started... We just went with an agenda to love people well. And uh, I met a particular lady and just, just got this sense of, uh, yeah, you know when you, you meet someone you think, I know you, or, or we should have met a long time ago. There, there's just that kind of vibe going on. So anyway, we chatted and we hung out and then we swapped um, information and uh, we were talking back and forth, and then she invites me to her 40th birthday party, um, which is over in uh, well, it's a couple of hours drive away anyway. So I go to a fancy dress 40th birthday party, and while we're there, I'm doing a little uh, cocktail half hour. The people who were doing the cocktail half actually asked numbers of us whether we would do that for half an hour. So the, the couple who were doing that before me, we started chatting, and. One of them's got a gin still in his garden. He, he makes his own gin. Um, just so. He's, he's not just <laughs> going to gin all the time. Uh, and I get on so well with them, they invite me to their wedding. I'm meeting these people for the first time, and they're seeing something in me where they're saying, we want to do some community with you, and we want you in our lives. And whereas uh, that is kind of... Odd on one hand, there's, there's opportunities in there. So as I'm praying for these guys, at one point, the lady who invited me to a uh, birthday party says, uh, my, my son's asking if he can be a Christian. And so I, I get to speak into his life because she likes me, she trusts me, she's like, you know about this stuff, how do I explain this to him? She's a witch, she's a practicing witch, she's a pagan, but he's now praying for her. You know, if I hadn't been there and I hadn't made that connection, listened to Holy Spirit and his prompting and connected with her, you know, who knows? But, uh, gosh, I've got about five minutes, so I need to think about how I bring this in. Okay. Does anyone ever pray, Lord, come again, come soon? Jesus, come back, please. Yeah. I knew there were some of you in here. I don't really. I, I pray, Lord, not just yet. All right, let's get some more in the kingdom. This is what it says in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. 
but he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All right? If you see someone work, walking in the occult, if you see someone walking in witchcraft, Jesus died for them. He absolutely loves them. And uh, he needs someone to be able to connect with them in order that they can hear the story. Tell you what, witches are searching in the spiritual realm. They know there's a spiritual realm. You can talk to them about all sorts of spiritual things. They've seen some healings. And they see some things moving in the spirit. So actually, if you bring what's true and more powerful rather than the counterfeit, then they're going to start seeing some stuff. Sometimes you will see fruit like that. Sometimes you're sowing a seed and someone else will water it. Right? We are, um, in terms of the kind of horticulture that we're doing, we, we've all got a part to play. And it might be sowing seeds at some point, sometimes. At other times it might be reaping. So... Uh, if I can go back to Psalm 133, right? We talk about Mount Hermon as it as it's mentioned there. That's where Ma that's the mountain where God made a covenant with Moses. All right, it's the highest point in Israel. It's got snow in winter. It is verdant green. Because of the weather systems around there, the surrounding mountains are green and fertile as well. But if you look at it, um, they, Mount Sire was where the Ammonites and the Moabites lived. They were the enemies to Israel. If we take that principle across the bridge into the New Testament through the lens of Jesus, all right, what we'll find is our neighbours around us are going to be blessed because we're being blessed, right? The blessing that's fallen on us is wider than us. Do you know that when um, Israel came against their enemies and they defeated them, all of their wealth um, and provision came into Israel? I'm not suggesting that we go out and start smiting our neighbours because we're, we're told to bless people, but not just those that are good to us, right? The Lord tells us to bless our enemies, bless those who curse you. It says, if someone, um, it's talking about your enemies, if someone asks, is hungry and asks food from you, feed them. If someone wants water from you, water them, kind of thing. Quench their thirst. By doing so, you will heat burning coals on their head. Who's thought that and thought, ha ha ha, God's going to shine? <laughs> um, God revealed something to me when I was kind of preparing this. And he was saying, well, what do heavenly coals look like? What happens? And he took me to Isaiah. Isaiah 6, where Isaiah's lamenting the fact that he's a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. And an angel takes a coal from the altar and puts it to his lips. And then God says, who will go for us? Who will we send? And Isaiah's like, here I am, send me. Because coals actually redeem. And when someone's believing something wrong about themselves, God turns it around and says, this is what I think of you, and impresses something of the heavenly perspective on them. So if we're blessing our enemies and there's burning coals coming on their head, does that mean their mind is going to get redeemed and they're going to have some revelation of how good God is? All right? It's the kindness of God that leads to should lead to repentance. All right? God is so loving towards people. If we love people, never mind those people who are good to us, when love looks radical, it's when we're loving people who don't deserve it. So if we forgive people 70 times 7, 
yeah? And not because they've done something good to us, but because they've done something wrong to us. And we forgive them again and again, and then we do something proactive to love them. Is it easy? No. But does it look like God? I think it does. Uh, we have seen people come out of addiction. I met a young Brazilian woman uh, online. I've got my, my laptop back from uh, some teenagers, my, my daughter and her friend, who were looking at something. I won't tell you what it was. But it was a live place where you could have interaction with, with the people. And there was some strange stuff going on in there. And I was like, what is, what is that? What is this? Holy Spirit said, stay there. And I came across this Brazilian woman who, who's chatting to me, and then she starts... Uh, removing bits of her clothing, and I'm like, whoa, stop. I said, you're worth so much more than that. Do you know who you really are? And just started telling her about who she was in, in God. And then we got off there, we started Skyping, then we connected through Facebook, and I kept just telling her who she was. Because I've done the um, course which talks about identity, I just passed that on. This is who you really are. And she, kept, she, was, in, she was selling herself. But she came out of that, she committed her life to God, She's uh, got involved in youth ministry. She's now happily married. Um, and she said, I loved her better than anyone could. And what, what did I do? I, I just told her who she was. Um, I bumped into a friend on Facebook who said, you won't remember me. I said, of course I remember you, Alicia. We were boyfriend and girlfriend back when we were teenagers. Anyway, we're catching up and uh, I tell her that I'm, I'm following Jesus, and she says, oh, I'm a, a witch, I, I practice candle magic. I was like, all right. <laughs> so we just carry on, you know, I'm, I'm learning, don't get phased by that, okay? Battle not against flesh and blood, blah, 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 blah. There's a person in front of me with Jesus lights. Mm -hmm. So we're chatting back and forth, and then she talks about her mum. I said, what's up with your mum? She said, oh, she, she's fallen over and damaged her hip. So what happened? She said she's got a blood disorder, and it disorientates <coughs> her, and she's fallen over, and she's damaged her hip badly. I said, look, I'll pray for her. Jesus loves to heal. So a couple of weeks later, and we're talking again, I said, how's your mum? She said, the doctors don't understand it. They said it's a miracle. I said, what do you mean? She said, her hip's fine. It's as if nothing happened. Wow. And the blood disorder's been sorted out. They, they can't explain it. They're saying it must be a miracle. I said, do you know what? That's Jesus. That, that's really what he's like. Um, because do you know what? It's not about us. Let's get us out of the way and keep pointing people back to Jesus, that he might get the glory. And that people might get a sense of who he is and how much um, he loves them. But she said, okay, maybe you can pray for my best friend. Hmm. I said, sure, what's the matter with her? She said, she's got stage four cancer um, of the stomach and bowel. It's inoperable and it's not responding to treatment. She's been given three months to live. And my immediate thought was, gosh, that's a bigger prayer. How do I, <laughs> how do I come about this? And then I heard myself, I thought, how ridiculous. It wasn't my magnificent prayer that healed her mum. <laughs> It was God's goodness and his kindness. And it's not my magnificent prayer that's going to heal Ruby. It's his goodness and his kindness. So I prayed for Ruby. Ruby is now five years in remission wow. from cancer. It's not a trace of cancer now. Because Jesus loves her. She doesn't even know that Jesus healed her. All right? I'm still uh, witnessing to Alicia, who's seen God work in these magnificent ways. There, there was a, a car that just ripped her off and threw her off the highway, and she landed the right way around without a scratch on her. I'm like, can you not see the cars in your life looking after you? She's like, well, there's something happening. Um, I need to wrap up, but what I want to tell you out of this is that whatever you're called to, and God's got a plan and a purpose for your life, all right? It may not be like 
mine uh, or, or like somebody else's, but it will be unique to you. God's called you to do something. If you ask him, he'll tell you, I promise you. And he'll equip you for it and he'll put the right people around you. But what it will look like is not necessarily signs, wonders and miracles or wonderful prophecies or words of knowledge because those things may come about. But I tell you what, if you read um, 1 Corinthians 13, it talks about we may speak in um, tongues, but if we do that without love, we're just a sounding gong, we're just a clashing cymbal. And at the end, I won't go through the whole thing, at the end, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, it says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So whatever you're called to, and when you step out in obedience, ask God to allow his love to come through that because um, love is better than any other gift of the spirit, any other fruits of the spirit. It will harvest um, more than anything else can. So if we ask him, how can it look like love? Um, uh, I need to stop there. Uh, if anyone's got anything going on in their body and they need prayer, let me tell you that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Amen. So if, if you need prayer for something that's in your body or something that's bothering you in your mind or something that's in, in your emotional world, let's just take a couple of minutes, just stick your hand up or stand up and let's bring people around you to pray. Yeah? Yeah? Do you want to get around these people, please? Come on, body of Christ. Church of God. There, there is, the age of celebrity is gone. There is no great I am in the churches anymore. We are the body of Christ, right? And we get to minister to one another. So, yeah, Holy Spirit, come. Make yourself famous. Jesus, come. Yeah, Lord. <laughs> yeah, as we pray in faith, Lord God, just trust that you are still at work, you are still healing, you are still ministering to your body. Glorify your name, Lord God. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that, that you comfort those who are grieving. We thank you that you bind up the brokenhearted. We thank you, Lord, that you are healer. You are the everlasting Father. You are the Prince of Peace, Lord. You bring restoration. Glorify your name, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, just... Where there's that sense of weariness, Lord, where people are feeling tired, there's something coming against uh, hope that's 
making them get a belief that they're, they're worn out, that they haven't got any more capacity, that they're kind of at the end of themselves. But Lord, in weakness is your strength made perfect. Just bring that refreshing, Lord. Give that revelation of the fact that when we walk with you and we say yes to you, you provide the strength. While you're praying, I just want to tell you one more story. Um, I got invited to join a team going out to Burning Man, which is an event that happens in the Nevada desert. I'm part of a ministry team, and I, I was cooking breakfast, lunches, dinners, feeding our crew, and ministering in the ministry tent. And it gets to Friday afternoon. We've been there since the previous Saturday. And uh, I, am, I am done. I'm like, I haven't got an ounce of anything left to give. I need to go. I'm in the ministry tent. I'm turning around to go to the kitchen to get some hot dogs on or something. So I can't even bother to cook anymore. And I love cooking. And be before I go out of the end, it's an old Marines tent. It's massive. Before I go out, uh, I just look around. And there's river. Or, or we used to call them sweetness. It's now called the river. But he's waving at me. River. I'm like, Lord, please. And he's with... The girl he's ministering to is sat between him and me, and she's watching him wave me over. So I'm like, Lord, what do I do? He said, go. So I come over thinking, I've got nothing to give. I'm like, Lord, you need to, this needs to be you. I haven't got anything. Um, which is a good prayer sometimes, isn't it? Because when we get out of the way, God can work. So I sit down with this, this young lady, and River says, I've got to go. See you later. I'm like, really? <laughs> so I sit down. I say, what's your story? So she's Rebecca. And she tells me that she's kind of lost her way, but she's now meeting people who are talking about this thing in the universe. And there's, there's something there, but she's not sure what it is. I said, there is, he's Jesus. She said, oh, I'm not sure. My dad used to be, uh, my dad's a minister, he's a pastor. I said, so tell me about that. So her dad ministered. She said he was, he was a lovely dad, but his ministry came first. I always came second. I said, okay, w what else was going on in your family? She said, my mum had loads of love, but she decided that because of that, she needed more kids. She didn't have more kids. She fostered. So they brought people into the house, and they always came first. They, they were more needy. They got the attention. And I, I was always second best. I said, okay, listen, I'm going to do something with you, if that's all right. We had two chairs. She said, I want to do something called identificational repentance. Imagine I'm your dad. And I was saying, oh, I'm really sorry that I put my ministry before you. And I'm sorry that I hurt you. We wanted you. You are loved. I did wrong, please forgive me. She's bawling and crying and whatnot. And we did that. She forgave her father. And then I said, let's do the same with your mother. So I, I did a similar sort of thing with your mother. With the mother, and she again, she's crying and she forgives her mother. You see this weight get off her, and she just lights up like a beacon. And she decides to recommit um, her life to Jesus. So I go and get my Bible, I sign it to her, give it to her, and she's praising God and she's leaping about. And River comes back, he's going, What's going on there? I don't know, Jesus just doing some stuff. I had no idea. I was at the end of myself. Uh, I think Holy Spirit is just saying that in order that we can say, even when we feel we've got nothing, if we ask Holy Spirit to do something, he can minister to people.